Welcome to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay, fitting it all together to make teaching and learning in the junior grades more accessible, practical, and fun for both teachers and their students. Here's your host, teacher by day, mom of three, and curriculum creator of all the things from madlylearning.com, Patty Firth. Today, I want to tell you about three things I've done in my last 15 years of teaching that I don't ever want to do again. Let me share with you the mistakes that I've made over the last 15 years and why I'm choosing not to ever do those again. Welcome to another episode of Teaching with Madly Learning. My name is Patty, and I'm the founder of madlylearning.com. And every single week, we have new episodes that come out all about teaching and learning in the junior grades. Here at Madly Learning, we help to support Canadian teachers in grades three, four, five, and six fit it all together by making exceptional lessons that engage students and make teaching more stress-free and enjoyable. If that's you, hit the like and subscribe button so that you don't miss any future episodes. So after 15 years of teaching, I have made my fair share of mistakes, like a lot of them. Like I probably make mistakes every day, but there's definitely been some that are in the top of things I have done in my past that I don't ever plan on repeating and doing again. So I wanted to share those with you because if you happen to be doing them, maybe you might want to stop them or maybe I'll just give you food for thought or maybe you've just done them better than I have. So that's possible too, but I want to share these things, why I did them, why I've stopped doing them, and why I don't ever plan on doing them again. So the first is a lesson that I've learned probably my very first year of teaching, and that was classroom management. And specifically, coming into classroom management and trying to figure out how I was going to manage a class of like 26 kids. Now, I before becoming a teacher, was a child and youth worker. So I was not a stranger to dealing with difficult, challenging behaviors. So I will admit I came into teaching initially thinking that behavior was not going to necessarily be something that I really had to be too worried or too concerned about. I took a lot of the ideas of what I would use in a one-to-one setting and then scaled it up and applied it to a whole class. And one of the things I used was clip charts. And in fact, I used, didn't use a clip chart where all the students' names are visible at the front of the room, and then you move them up and down based on their behavior. I ended up using color-coded cards. So they had green, yellow, orange, and red. And the goal was to stay on green. And if they needed warnings and those students would move to like a yellow or a red, You can have students moving up and down on the clip chart. You know, if they did an excellent job, they move up or they move down. They kind of, it essentially is ranking your students. So the same thing happens whether you're using a clip chart or you're using, say, Class Dojo or any type of behavior management system that publicly displays students and allows them to compare their skills to another student in the classroom whether it's clip charts or class dojo or classroom economies for that matter, if you happen to have a system where students are able to see their points in relation to others, or they can see how they are ranked in comparison to their peers, that's the type of classroom system that I'm talking about. 
while point-based systems and behavior regulation tracking charts are effective in cases with students where you're working one-on-one, -on -one, where it's the conversations between you and that student, and it's not necessarily for public display or comparison, then they work. However, what I neglected to see is the effect that that has on a whole group and about the idea that you're building a classroom culture or community. So what ended up happening is I went ahead, scaled that up and applied it to my whole class. And all of my students had their cards. They all started on green every morning. What ended up happening was a spiral downward into chaos and not the culture that I wanted to create that first year of teaching. And what ended up happening was because of the emphasis on students who were not meeting expectations would then publicly be viewed as going further and further down on the clip chart or they would get a red they would start feeling defeated because they were constantly getting a red. And it was really consequencing for those students who they weren't all coming in with the same skills or the same set of tools in their toolbox. And it assumed automatically that all of my students were exactly the same and they all had the same challenges and they all had the same capacity to stay on green. The reality was that I had quite a few students that didn't, whether they had inattention, whether they had just not a great morning that morning, or they had a shitty home life and they didn't come to school with the same tools in their toolbox as everybody else. So as the teacher, when you're, they're coming in with different tools in the toolbox, but they're expected to conform to this one universal standard of behavior, for many of them, that became quite unrealistic. And as a result, they just decided to give up. And then the attention obviously was then focused on the negative behavior because I was constantly having to deal with the negative behavior. And then I was giving attention to the negative behavior. Well, when we give attention to negative behavior, it just breeds more negative behavior. It's the same reason why when you have a student that's shouting out constantly, and if you are constantly addressing that student or always answering that student, then more students will start calling out in your classroom because you're giving attention to it versus if you ignore it or if you praise the positive behavior and you focus on the positive behavior as a way to help shape the group culture, then that's gonna be more effective. Now, yes, you still have to deal with the individual behavior, but you can do that privately. But this public display of behavior management where individual students are pitted against one another or one student's empty toolbox is compared to another student's full toolbox and they're expected to coming in with completely different sets of skills are expected to be able to achieve the same. We know that if a student has come to school with a, a full breakfast where their parents aren't fighting, where there's, you know, there's lots of skills and, and they're living in say a middle-class family that you know, is able to provide them with the things that they need and they don't have a history of trauma and they don't have food scarcity or any of the other issues that we all know impact our students. 
if a student is coming in and they're already lacking some of the tools required for that toolbox, a clip chart is not going to help get them to where they need. It's actually going to defeat the whole purpose and end up kind of destroying your classroom culture. And then it becomes, well, why bother trying? This teacher is constantly at me for all of these things. I'm never going to be good enough. And a student that is not bought in to what you're doing in the classroom very quickly ruins anything you had planned and you lose control of your classroom at that point. That was me. I had lost control of my classroom and didn't really know where that came from or how I was going to get it back. Now, thankfully, I had the ability to have some support from amazing co-teachers, from amazing other staff, EAs, that were able to come in and help my struggling first-year teacher self get my class back on track and get focused on other systems that would be more positive-focused and would not consequence students in a biased fashion for things that were out and beyond their control. So it was a far more equitable system that allowed students to manage behavior in the classroom, focusing on the positive and creating a culture where students are bought in and do want to do what it is they're being asked to do. So that's one. Another thing that I have learned, and I probably I have to keep telling myself this all the time, was that things will go according to plan. And this was something that I had to get used to. I would get defeated. I would feel defeated if things on my lesson plan didn't go exactly the way I wanted, or if students, for some reason, it just didn't work out that day or I didn't get done what I wanted to get done. I would get myself so worried that I wasn't going to cover everything or I wasn't going to be able to get to everything or that, you know, I must be a horrible teacher if they just didn't understand the things I had planned or why I couldn't get through everything. So really thinking about my mindset about that and about why having something on my lesson plan didn't necessarily mean that that's what I needed to do definitely helped. Realizing that we are not machines, that education is not machine-based, and that the resources that I own, the resources that I use or have access to are written from the idea that these are in an ideal situation, but that you're teaching human beings in front of you and other things come up and sometimes things change. Sometimes you need to adapt on the fly and sometimes things don't always work out the way you want to plan. One of the best ways I've used to combat that is to stop planning day to day and start planning week by week. If I have one goal for the week that I want to accomplish, it means I have a lot of flexibility and freedom to plan within that week. I don't have to plan day to day. So I don't have a lesson that says, okay, I will do this today and then I will be able to move on to this skill tomorrow. If I plan a week at a time, I focus on what is one thing I want to teach this week. So for example, last week, I wanted to teach my students about the science fiction genre. It's something they've been experimenting a lot in writing. It's things that they're interested in reading. So we wanted to dig more into what that meant. I just had that as a goal for the week. At some point in the week, I was going to cover what a science fiction text form was, what it meant, 
what we did, I had an activity. I prepped it and planned it for the week. Didn't know which day I was necessarily going to get to it exactly, but I knew it was going to happen at some point in the week. I had my photocopies ready for the acre charts for a little activity that they were doing where they had to read a summary of a story and decide whether it was true or false, whether, yes, it was science fiction or no, it wasn't science fiction. I had that planned, but I originally sketched it out that I was going to do that on Wednesday, but then I didn't have a chance to do it on Wednesday, so I bumped it to Friday. And that wasn't a big deal because I had planned for the whole week and I didn't necessarily plan day by day. So I knew that I was going to get it done some point last week, but it didn't matter to me necessarily which day it was going to get done because I knew things happened. So by planning week to week, it gives me a lot more opportunities to be super flexible and to really think through what exactly I want to get done and how I'm going to do it. So highly recommend it. It takes a lot more stress off of me. It's a lot more flexible. And as long as you have your ideas out and sort of learning goals that you want to cover in the week, and you have an idea of what that's going to look like and what activities you can do to meet that goal, you might not be able to get to all of the activities. You might be able to get to some of the activities, but your idea is I'm going to teach this concept this week. That's what we're going to focus on. I'm going to loosely map out what that could look like, but I can be flexible within that goal and figure out how I'm going to go based on what feedback I'm getting from my students and what they're showing me they're able to do. So that's definitely taken some stress and I will never plan day to day any longer. And I'll always remember that it's okay if every single lesson just doesn't go my way. Number three, desks in rows. I don't ever want to see students sitting facing the front separated desks and me having to stand at the front of the room teaching them. I have finally been able to move my desks back into groups, bring in a bit more flexible seating into my classroom again, and it feels so good. Can I never, ever go back to desks in rows where they're sitting facing the front all separated apart together? It just doesn't feel like teaching. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like good teaching. And it is such a relief to be able to walk into my classrooms and see the desks in my room in groups. I don't ever want to see them in rows again. I'm sure I'll have to when we're doing EQAO or provincial testing and things like that. I'll have to separate them out temporarily, but they go back into rows. I didn't enjoy teaching students in rows. It's not easier for me to manage the class behavior. It just doesn't feel conducive to the type of classroom environment and culture that I want to create when students cannot collaborate, bounce ideas off of one another, share what they're working on, and grow from each other. My desks have been in groups for a few days now, and already I'm seeing behavior rubbing off from one student to another, people holding each other accountable, working together, collaborating, sharing resources, all of those things we haven't been able to do. So I know it really wasn't my decision to put them in rows, but the last two years has certainly cemented for me that I don't ever want to put them in rows if I don't have to. That my students will sit in groups or in some sort of collaborative formation because that's what's best for their learning and for teaching. 
So those are my three things that I don't ever want to do again. I'd love to hear what you don't ever want to do again. Find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, and let me know what is something you've done in teaching that you don't ever want to do again. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Teaching with Madly Learning podcast replay. Join me on www.madlylearning.com for more information on all things teaching in the junior grades. Don't forget, you can always catch this show on the Madly Learning YouTube channel. See you next week for another replay episode of Teaching with Madly Learning.